Marky Worthington podcast all day. All day. Dream by night. <laughs> Don't buy me a drink. Just give me 10 bucks. <laughs> all day. <laughs> Go down to the strip club with your floppy disk and turn it into a hard drive. Yeah, right. You'll get fucking thrown out by Big Tony. <laughs> we're here to name names and make people feel more ashamed for shit that they're not proud of. Don't blow it. Keep it simple. Count your money. No, whatever it is. Hello and welcome to the Marky Worthington Comedy Podcast. This is episode 86. Special guest on the show. For those of you following along at home, my old man, Ian Worthington. How you doing? Yeah, good, Marky. How you going, mate? <laughs> good, good. Uh, I didn't realise this, but uh, the old man's been listening into the podcast over the times um, that I've put him out, and uh, finally in town while I'm doing a uh, recording, so I figured let's get him on and got as many as the good stories I've got from over the years all around the old man, so... Uh, may as well hear it from the horse's mouth himself and get him on the show. Are you calling the horse, mate? I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, leave the comedy to me, mate. Yeah. Bloody, um, but yeah, this is episode 86. We're chatting off Mike. Now, um, I'll mention the age straight up. The old man, 65. Yeah. And yep, yeah, um, so has lived through all the, like the 60s, 70s, 80s, all the cool shit. Do you remember what you're doing in 1986? Let's take take us back in time. Uh, 86, geez, in 86 I was, uh, I was uh, yeah, a little bit younger than I am now. <laughs> and uh, 86 I was just married. Yep. And uh, we we got to uh, we got to move house. Uh, I bought a house and a transportable home and I had it moved onto a block of dirt and I had a friend that said, oh, I've got a block of dirt on the outskirts of this little town that I grew up in. And I said, how much do you want for the block of dirt? And he said, $2,000. And I thought, okay, well, I can scratch that up. <laughs> so I did that and then uh, I got a guy from over over in the road and over at Parks and he come along and moved the house for me and I got a couple of mates to give me a hand mm. and we set it all up and I said it was, yeah, it worked out really good. And yeah. I said we were there for a fair while until uh, you fellas were born. Yeah, so I was born in 93, yeah. and I think we moved out of that place when I was, is it probably about 97? 97, yeah, yeah around 97 we moved. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, I started working as a uh, welding instructor and engineer instructor for TAFE. Yep. So we had to move around a little bit. So we, we moved from there to Orange and... Mm -hmm. I did work over in Orange at TAFE and uh, I worked as contractor out at the mines doing confined space training and yep. teaching guys how to survive underground. Yeah, that was a pretty wild time. And it was also after, it was in that moment where there was getting a lot of attention to that because it was not long after that period or within that period that um, they had those two Tasmanian miners that were trapped underground, which yeah. was all stuff that you were sort of yeah. um, training people how to survive if yeah, that happened. Yeah, we were doing that. I was basically training guys how to do entry and exit from confined spaces and how to survive in the crushes because I'd teach guys how to go and replace all the plates in the crushes and how to put down duck boards and how to survive in a three-storey crusher. Yeah. And uh, not not fall to their death. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And like back in the back in the time, you know, it was uh, pretty serious stuff because mm. if you made a blue and somebody made a blue, yeah, then you were hauled over the coals for it. So you had to know you had to know your stuff back then. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, now, uh, now that I come to think about it, now I think, geez, you know, some of those records go for twenty seven years. You know. Yeah. So, 
you think, you know, I hope no one falls off the perch in the yeah. next couple of years. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, um, there's people probably still out there active that were trained by people like mm. yourself back then. Mm. Um, hey, call back to the um, the, to- the time of 86. You bought a block of land for two grand. What the yeah. fuck? Well, I bought a ha- I bought a trans- free Betty transportable home, brand new, for $60,000 mm. with an ensuite and had veranda front and back and the whole lot. And yep. then it cost me $30,000 to get it all set up and two thousand dollars and then it cost me eight thousand dollars to get the sewage put on and the power put on so yep. for a hundred grand i was set yeah yeah back in them Shit. days yeah, yeah yeah and it was like on a two acre block wasn't it two acres of land yeah, when you fellas were little and that yeah yeah we used to uh you fellas would go mad because i yeah. built the cubby house for you down the end in the yeah. sand pit yeah remember yeah. i used to have to go down every morning and get with the old rake shit out of it rake the sand pit yeah. to get the cat poo out of it yeah we had a bloody um like a sand pit but we lived kind of near a bush so like all of the feral cats and neighbor combined with the neighborhood cats would use me sand pit as a communal fucking shitting spot yeah, um, yeah but it was a good yard like i remember the old man used to do some work there on my bikes and stuff like that in the back shed doing up motorbikes and that and um you take it for a test ride i got memories of the old man um sitting me on the petrol tank and, and like between um the petrol tank and the and the handlebars while he was on the sitting down riding just taking the test test rides around the backyard and that yeah and that's also the yard i learned to ride a push bike in because it was a hill so sort of i remember the old man's pushing me on the on the back to like like to keep me stable and i'm thinking oh yeah he, i could still feel the hand on my back and i'm like oh yeah yeah i'm still going i'm still going and then i turn around he's bloody like 50 meters up the paddock and i'm still just pedaling by myself i'm like fuck i just been riding myself i didn't even know yeah. um but yeah no it was a good good time i think um they were good times so good yeah. times when you grew up uh change things have changed now a lot when you two boys have have your own kids things will be a lot different and to what they even are now mm. and um i i'm glad that i grew up when i did see i was born 12 years after the second world war ended yeah and it was basically all free free it was like the flower power era you yeah, know like yeah. i grew up in that yeah hey man peace man sort of <laughs> time and yeah. everyone looks back on it now thinking yeah what a what a weird bunch they were <laughs> but you know like i remember one of my mates, he uh, he turned sixty two or three years before I I turned sixty, mm. and he was saying, oh, "I remember when we were younger. You know, we used to we used to look at the old guys and we'd say, geez, 'Geez, I'd hate to be that old.' And they were only in their sixties then. But mm. he said, you know, like we're sort of pretty good.' And I said, "Well, we thought about it, and I thought, well, most of the, all them guys went through war. Yeah, we didn't go years. for any. You know, that adds years and years to their age, and they seen and did things yeah. no human should have to do. Yeah." And and they at the end of the war they just kicked them out and said okay you can go about your normal life now <laughs> yeah you know? yeah it was just it's incredible yeah what, what they had to endure and what they went through for yeah. for us yeah for us you know yeah and um yeah it was, it did was you have bad. older mates that that were enlisted like being 65 now i'd say that you were just below the like the main wave of people that that fought in vietnam yeah i had uh, i i knew I had a lot of friends that were older than me that were vets that yeah. still are, you know, like, still and, that, kicking, and I've yeah. still got friends that were vets, but I was under the age limit. My eldest brother was called up, 
but he was a really bad asthmatic. He yeah. he was really bad with asthma. Yeah. And uh, he called up, and then when they were training him, he had a really bad asthma attack, and he was he almost died. They had to airlift him and put him in an iron lung. Yeah, and right. And then they said to him, no, you're no good to us. So he, he went off, and he, he was a truck driver, and he, all he did was drove trucks. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, there's... Uh, Probably ten years between the oldest in our family and the youngest. Yeah, you know? there were seven of us in the family, seven. and I was the youngest. Yeah. Um, uh, the the thing is, back in them days, so um, fun was just made. You'd make fun yourself. Yep. There was no games. There was nothing to look at. You know, television didn't come on till five in the afternoon. <laughs> and, like, there'd be nothing on there to look at Good anyway. Good luck till five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, from five o'clock to about nine o'clock at night. That was television. Holy shit. And then all you heard was the radio. So you heard, yeah. the, you know, back then we called it the wireless. But yeah. I'm allowed to call it now. Every time I say the wireless, they look at me funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Coming to you from the wireless. It's yeah. the Marky Worthington comedy podcast. <laughs> And, and we weren't all we weren't all that rich when we grew up. We were pretty poor, mm. and uh, we'd have secondhand clothes and secondhand toys and all that. But you just made the most of it. You yeah, d- you did what you did, you know. Yeah, and, I think it was more common then, though. Like it yeah. wasn't. I feel like there's a big class gap at the moment. Whereas mm. I feel like from what you what you've explained to me, like a lot of people were all in that middle class. Like it mm. was like a big section of working people. Mm. Mm. Yeah, everybody worked. Um, there was not many people that didn't work. The only time you really didn't work is when you retired or you were incapable of working. Yeah. But uh, everyone had a job doing something because there's that much work out there then. Sure. Back then, you know, it'd take 10 guys to do the job one guy will do now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so everyone sort of had a job. I left school very young. I only spent six years at school. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I was an asthmatic as well. It was runs in our family. Yeah. And, but I seemed to grow out of it. But I had bronchial pneumonia when I was four, five, six, really bad and spent winter in bed. And I yeah. was very, very, very puny little guy yeah and uh so i didn't start school until i was seven Shit. and then when i started school because of the ailments that i had i was the sort of guy that got picked on a lot yeah so i used to then that made me who i was later on in life yeah. you know um when i left um when i left i went to about four different schools yeah and then uh, i left school when i was 13 Yep. Um, so I left school in 1972 yep. and uh, I went straight to work. I worked on uh, my old, back in then days, on my old stepfather, my old stepfather's farm. So yep. I worked on the farm and then Farmer. as soon as I got old enough to have my license, I went and put myself through TAFE. Back then you could put yourself through TAFE. You mm. didn't have to have an apprenticeship or anything like that if you wanted to do mechanics or whatever you wanted to do hmm. you'd just go and sign up at TAFE and back then the money was it was fairly cheap to yep. go through TAFE it was all government funded so you know I did automotive engineering yeah and became mechanic yep uh the only thing you had to do was spend 12 months at the end of it in a garage so I went and got a job at the panel beaters in at uh, in the hometown in yep. Grenfell and I spent five years in there panel beating, spray painting, learning the panel beating game. I was very lucky that the old guy that was working in there as well was an old panel beater. Yeah. Not a panel replacer. Right. Because back then was when the the Datsuns came out, you know, with the tinny yards. And so this is like 70... In 76. Six, yeah. And uh, you would... 
you would sort of just replace panels back then. Sure. But the older cars, you used to have to panel beat them and fix them. And he showed me how to do all that sort of stuff. So, so he learned on like the 50s and yeah, 60s he style shit. Yeah, the old stuff. Yeah, yeah, the old things where, you know, you'd run over it with a Mack truck and still wouldn't dent it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know those, those, little, uh, those little matchbox toys, you <laughs> see those where you push them off something and then you crash them and bang them and none of them knock a chip of paint off them. <laughs> <laughs> them old cars from the 40s and 50s yeah. were like that, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But... Um, well, it's a bit like um, one of the first cars we worked on together was a 1957 Morris Minor. It was the first car that we ever f were doing a job and seen in the shed and said, oh, I wonder what that, what, what the owner would offer for that. Yeah. And um, luckily enough, the job paid for most of it and we just had to pay the gap. And um, so to paint a picture, this is a 1957 Morris Minor. It's like powder blue. Um, been sitting in the shed for 18 years. We, the old man organises it to jump, get on the back of a trailer. We take it back to the, the shed that he, that he had. It wasn't really a shed, it was a hay shed. We chucked it in the hay shed. Drain the fuel tank. The old man changed all the leads for the spark plugs and that because the rats ate all the cables out while it was in the shed. So sitting for 18 years, new um wires new battery drain the petrol tank and put new fuel in it and started it up <laughs> that's how reliable that old school shit was we started it and drove it mate and yeah. remember when we were driving i said there's something pro some problem underneath this car because it just won't stay on the old track yeah and uh we went back and then when we restored that vehicle yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh put it on the rotisserie and turned it upside down pulled the springs out yeah the reason it was taken off the road because they had too much rust in it 18 yeah. years previous and they'd they put a panel in the back where this holds the springs in mm. as you remember when yeah. we took it out mm. and uh they just pop riveted a bit of tin over the rust yeah and then yeah. tried to put the springs back on it yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah. it was all over the place <laughs> so the story goes what happened was i en ended up going sending that down the road and the bloke that bought it employed the old man to restore it so not only did it moved on to someone else but also the old man got to restore it too and from what i understand old mate still has that restored and it's still ro still rolling so uh, um it then went on to a new owner and he fully restored it back to like original got extra parts um from overseas sent in and replaced and basically took it all back to brand new original here's the funny part we're talking about how strong the old panels were apparently um, one of the last things it did before it was taken off the road is the person that owned it before us drove down to Melbourne and hit a Ford Laser for a 90s Ford Laser and wrote the Ford Laser off but didn't even ding the panel on the, on the Mori. It just was like, it was tr such a little tank that it rode a car off and then just drove home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all he did was damage the little chrome bumper bar that used to be held on with it, like they were on it like spring steel. Yeah. So they were designed to hit something and then bounce off them. Yeah. And that's exactly what it did. It yeah. just wrote this car off and then he just says, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> drove from <laughs> Melbourne all the way back up to Maria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a unit. But um yeah that's some car stuff. I um wanted also to say like so we're painting a, we're, the timeline's a bit all over the place um with this. So we started off at uh, 80s 70s and um also I just had my 30th birthday. It's part of the reason the old man's in town to catch up. Um and we figured hey let's do a let's do a recap. Do you remember what you did for your 30th birthday? Yeah, for my 30th birthday, uh I was welding at the time. I was putting myself for an engineering course. 
and uh, I was doing nine years engineering and pressure welding, mm-hmm. and I uh, spent most of my time at them at that time studying, and and that, and yep. uh, for my thirtieth birthday, I went and bought an engineering business. I mm. uh, went and seen the bank, the mortgage, the house. I'd already paid the the hundred thousand dollars back to the bank by then. And, yeah, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So you married in '86 mm. when you were 29. 27, I was Tw- actually. 27? 27 got married, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then by the time you are 30, yeah, you right. had a house yeah. and just bought your business, your first to, business. Yeah, bought an engineering business. <laughs> nice. I used to get up at 6 in the morning, go to work, and then I'd knock off at 9.30 at night. Yeah. Um, to the point where the police used to come down and knock on my door in my workshop and say, hey, mate, you better go home. We get people complaining about the noise. And yeah, I'd say, yeah, because you just say, get... F- stuck on something and oh, want to finish it well back then you know when i first kicked off i couldn't afford to actually have guys working for me so sure. i used to have to do all the work myself so i used yeah. to have to try and cram it all in and sometimes i'd be i'd have four or five jobs there to get out yeah so i'd have to do the big hours to get them out to try and get the money in because mm. i wanted to sort of you know get the money in so i could pay things yep and uh, the uh, the the thick copper come down one night nine thirty, and he goes, "Oh, I got people whinging about the noise." And I'd say, "Well, I try not to make too much noise at night. I don't pick up the sledgehammer at night. <laughs> <laughs> I basically set up and only weld and grind at night." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, they so I used to have to knock off then at like seven, yeah, seven at night, and go home. Yeah, and that and uh, your mum at the time she was working at the hospital, so okay. she used to do a lot of uh, work late too. She used yep. to work work at late late hours. Yeah, and uh, so we we're both sort of yeah working, but then it paid off. We mm. Ended up you know yeah, pretty well in front with everything mm. there. And uh, then we, as I was saying, you know, after I got my engineering certificates and got my pressure welding tickets and. And uh, I sort of went on then. I got actually offered a job by TAFE mm. to uh, to teach welding and engineering yeah. because you know I'd spent that much time doing it yep. that I did. So I went and did a certificate for in teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I did that, I started teaching welding welding at TAFE. I started off on the low, the nighttime welders. They were just all the basic welding techniques sure. and that. And then there were the guys who'd come after work. And we used to have a good time doing that. And then I promote. I got promoted then to teaching the trade. And then I used to do the year one, two trade. And then mm-hmm. I ended up doing the fitter welders and the, world, the year three tradies. And then I got promoted to teach uh, pressure vessel welding. Yeah. So I ended up with seven out of the 10 tickets myself. So yeah, I could teach a various, a variant of those. And uh, it was, it was good. Did that for eight and a half years. Mm. And then we got sick of that. Well, we didn't get sick of it, but you guys, we were in Orange and you guys were getting a bit older. And yeah. I thought, you know, I don't want you fellas to sort of just grow up in the grind. Yeah. So look back then when they had a thing called the trading post. Yeah. You didn't look on Facebook for a marketplace then. You, <laughs> you had to go and buy a magazine and look for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, looked in there and found an old camper van that needed restoring. Yeah, yeah. So I said, well, if I restore this camper van, then we can go for a bit of holiday. So, That's right. That was our ticket out of there. Yeah, yeah. So I had an old '86 Pajero short wheelbase sports that I bought cheap, and restored it up. And then we went and bought this old camper, pop top camper. Yep. She had two a double bed at the front and a double bed at the back, and a little kitchen that in it. But the guy hadn't used it for a long time, and I picked it up off him for three hundred and fifty dollars. Mm. 
And I had a friend at uh, Orange that was uh, a, a canvas replace. He used to do sales and do canvas work. And I asked yeah. him what it would cost to fix it. And he said, if you pull it all bits, he said, and I do it and you put it all together. He said, oh, about $1,800. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, fair enough. So I'd done that. And while, I, while he was making that, I went through and done the axles, the springs, and did new wiring, new, new it's tail lights. about 2004. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we ended up, the thing cost $2,500 on the road. Yeah. And then uh, handed me a resignation in at TAFE and... I said, righto, boys, take you out of school. We're going to do the homeschooling now. Yeah, and uh, we went We became gypsies for a second. Yeah, there. we yeah. did. Yeah. We went round through Victoria. We went to Tassie. We spent like seven or eight months just driving around Tasmania yep. and just looking at everything. And I, we'd do the homeschool thing in the morning and then we'd get that over and done with and go for a bit of a thing. And I had all my welding gear with me and I'd just go into engineering places and say, here's my certificate, here's my ticket, my welding ticket. Yeah. I said, I'm here's, I can contract, contract. to you. Yep. I'll give you an invoice at the end of the week if you want, or if you want me. And I said, yeah, I went to work, worked my way around Tassie, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then it was finished, we came back and moved to Maria. Yeah, and that's ended where up you, south coast. Yeah. yeah, and that's where you finished your schooling off. And that was a great little place, Maria. Great it was the, probably the best spot to do high school. So all through primary school, it, we moved to quite a bit. Um, just with you teaching at TAFE, a lot of hours, a lot of travel, you know, certain towns were closer to wherever you're going to be. So, you know, it was just easier sometimes to move mm. um, to bigger areas and all that sort of stuff. So my primary school was a little bit um, mixed, mm. but one advantage of Maria was I stayed in the same school from when I started high school to when I finished. So I had that like core group of mates that got me through the the thing and um i think part of why i'm pretty quick to sort of um chat to people and um sort of um get to know someone from the get-go is because i spent so many of my early years starting at new schools having to make friends quickly to fit in so i think a lot of my personality is attributed to that Mm. so it's good i think it was a good rounded experience you know get Mm. to do a bit of traveling a little bit of like um making new friends seeing new places i mean there's people that i went to school with in grenfell that are still there mm. like you know mm. and they didn't get to experience mm. all that and they're content with that and that's fine but i'm glad that we sort of got got a bit more variety i think it made you well-rounded in life yeah. to move around and uh the other thing was that every time we moved to a place, I would try and rent a place that was no further away than about half a K from the school. Yeah. So that there was no long distance traveling. When I was a younger guy, we used to have to travel. Uh, I used to catch the bus at 10 to seven in the morning mm. to get to school at 10 to nine. Yeah. We'd get on the bus at 20 to four in the afternoon. I wouldn't get home until almost six o'clock at night. Yeah. So basically all your homework and everything you did on the bus yeah, and that because um, didn't that's, have time. That, that's what you do, you know, that's what you do. Mm. And uh, I always swore that when I had boys or when I had children yeah. that uh, we would live close to a school because the travel time is something that, um, that I hated. I hated yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, no, the travel times, are, um, even now, like, I mean, the advantage of Canberra is everything's less than half an hour away. Mm. Uh, even the furthest distance to Southside is usually about half an hour. Mm. I mean, on a bad day, sometimes it can hit 45, but peak hour is never an hour. Mm. Like, everybody's home 
um, pretty quick, hmm. which is good. Um, but yeah, we so we got that um, something else. Oh, and also, so we we did a bit of traveling, but there was some times there before we got the caravan where we went camping instead. So just to sort of um, just to sort of get us used to the outdoor lifestyle and to get away from the hustle and bustle. While we're living in Orange, there was a small like mining village from way back when the gold rush days happened called Ofa. Um, and there was a creek bed that had been panned to shit. Like there was some old open cut mine, uh, old caves there and stuff that had been dug for mining. Mm. Um, and yeah, just a whole bunch of like cool little sightseeing spots there. Um, and <laughs> it was my first experience with a, uh, long drop toilet just in case I've got it a little bit fucked up in my memory, see if we can recount the experience from the outside. <laughs> I'll tell you how it goes. <laughs> um, Marky, he was only a little fella and he was, oh, well, he wasn't all that little. He was About eight, nine. eight, eight yeah. or nine. And he says, Dad, he said, I need to, I need to have a crap. And yeah. I said, well, there's a toilet over there, mate. And he goes, oh, geez, you know, and I said, well, I'll go over with you. I said, it's, it's a long drop. I'll just check it out. So I opened the, kick the door open, have a bit of look in there. There's no redback spiders in there or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no snakes in there, you know. I said, no, all the critters are gone. I said, you'll be right. So away you go. So anyway, there was a few other people camping around the area at the time and that. And Mark goes in and shuts the door. He's in there for a little while, not very long. And I can hear him going, <laughs> anyway, I said, you're right in there, Mark. Anyway, he opens the door, he comes back out and he says, oh, Dad, I can't go in there. He said, it stinks. He said, I'm going to throw up. And I said, well, just hold your nose, mate. I said, you'll be right. I said, it's not going to last that long. I said, just duck in. I'll shut, shut the door. Hold your nose. You'll you be right. You need to remember at this point, younger brother Luke, needs to go too. So he's standing next to that waiting for me to finish. <laughs> So we got Dad and Luke both waiting out the front. Yeah, yeah they're waiting anyway. <laughs> Marky's in there and he does his business, you know. Anyway, he comes out and there's blood coming out his nose and it's on his hands and that. And I said, mate, what happened? He said, I held me nose that hard, Dad. It started bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> Just to look down and see Luke's face. He's like, Luke, Luke nearly was ready to wait till we got back home yeah, after that. Luke said, should be right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll hang on to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the old long drop. Um, but yeah. Oh, I have a caveat here because I'm the only person that's contactable through the methods of this podcast don't hit me up for your fucking welding jobs because you know me old man can fix whatever's fucked at your house i know that he can weld everything but it's not my fucking job to be a business manager and give you the old piece of cast iron fucking pot that the handle fell off 12 years ago and you haven't got the balls to throw it out yet chuck it in the tip and get a new one you stingy fucks <laughs> <laughs> i get a few of those yeah yeah i i just figured i may as well chuck that no, out there mate, yeah the amount of the amount of crap that someone could buy for 30 bucks yeah and they'll 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 come and give me a, they say can you fix that and i'll say well mate you know it's going to cost you like 40 or 50 bucks to fix it yeah and then they say Oh, well, I'll get you to do it. So you do it and give it back to them. They see you a month later and go, oh, you know that thing you fixed? You go, yeah, I could have bought a new one for half that. And I said, well, why didn't you go and price one first? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not here to advise you. I'm just here to do the job. Yeah, true. Yeah. 
the advantage is if you do see the problem is a lot of people don't do good work whereas people know with your work a, something that you fixed is probably better than a new one because if it's already broken and you fixed it it's probably not going to break again because you fix it in a way that's not going to break it like it's yeah. like an engineer's mind which is good yeah yeah because i did the engineering and that you look at something and go how can i modify this to make it a lot better than it is stronger you know, and shit when yeah. i got my bodybuilders ticket and that and i was doing aluminium tippers and stuff yeah you know they'd get put off the road and the rta would say no that's got a crack in there you know you've mm. got to get that done well i i was ticketed to do all that i'd do that and then it'd have to go through inspection again and get inspected so it sort of trained you up, you're trained up to do that sort of work and that training also is good stead for when you do smaller jobs too because you look at it with the same eye, the same eye you yeah. know. You don't just think, oh, it's only handle off a pot, I'll just tack a bit of weld on it. Yeah, you think, yeah. okay, it's got to, got to support it for the to duration. Yeah, true. And also you sort of have pride in your work, which is something that sometimes is lost these days. Well, that's the thing, you know, like... Um, word of mouth gets around farther. I never advertised. Yeah. And I've been welding now for 45 years. Yeah. And I've never advertised the whole time I've been, and I've always been flat out welding. Even yeah. where we've moved to now, my partner has uh, bought a, a pub in a yeah. little little town that's yeah. only got 38 people in it. Yeah. You know, and I went out the other day with my gear, uh, mobile gear, yeah. and uh, welded the... Uh, the um, pipe back in a 40 foot water tanker that's aluminium yeah and the guy said i couldn't get anyone else to do this yeah this side of drive getting a permit and driving it an hour to get it done i just yep. couldn't get anyone to do it yeah and i only done that last week and now my partner was saying that she has had about five inquiries at the pub. Yeah. Oh, is can he, in, is he uh, can he do a job next week? You know? Yeah. So yeah. I said, no, I'm trying to get away from it now. I'm in my mid sixties now. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm still fit and healthy, but I just, uh, yeah. It's time as well. Like you, you get to the point where you get to pick and choose what jobs you want to do and whether you want to spend time doing one thing or the other, mm. you know? Mm. Um, so it all boils down to that. Now, in our time warp episode, we've, what have we covered? We've covered bloody everything from the 50s right through to now. There's a, there's a time I want to cover off. I mean, it's let's say that the, uh, what's it called? The, the statute of limitations has worn off it. I remember um, hearing stories about, you know, motorbikes over the years getting faster and, and, and better and all that sort of stuff. And I think that your generation was probably the first um to experience like the um when motorbikes really started to like get more power tell us about the first time you've ever you ever like were riding along yeah well when I, when opened I, oh, it was like just there's so many stories but i just want to boil it down to to start it off the first time you've ever opened up the throttle and felt the actual power of a motorbike and how that felt yeah, well, <clears throat> back in the 70s, uh, when the 900 Kawasaki's first came on the market, uh, I was uh, 74, I bought a, uh, a Z1B 900, and uh, it was pretty quick. Back then, the old 750 Honda was the, was the bike to have. The police all had 750 Hondas and that, yep. and then they bought the 900 Kawasaki's out. My mate up the road, his brother was a highway patrol policeman, and he yep. had a 750. And when I uh, turned up on this 900, he was up for a bit of a break, seeing his mum and dad and that. 
And he said, oh, can I take your bike for a ride? And I said, yeah, mate. I said, you're a bloody patrol copper. You should be able to handle a, a bike. Yeah. He took it for a run. He was gone for about five minutes. He came back and he got off and he said, man, he said, I hope we don't have to come up against these on our bikes because he said, we won't even blow wind up their exhaust pipes. <laughs> you know? And it wasn't long after that they were all issued with 900s. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. after that, probably six, seven months after that, they yep. took the 750s off them and gave them 900s. Yep. Now I think they have 1,300 Yamahas now. Yeah, something like something that. Like. But anyway, no, they were good bikes. I wore three of them out because that's all I did was ride bikes. I yeah. used to race enduro bikes as a as a sideline. Yeah. So I used to build enduro bike. I'd, I'd buy a bike strip it down, rebuild it to the specs I'd want, and then yeah. I'd race it on the weekends uh, and <laughs> duro race it. Yep. And then uh, that put me in good stead for road riding because you know, I used to just ride a road bike like you'd ride a trail bike. Yeah. And uh, 900s were a great bike. They were a great bike. They didn't handle all that well, but the last one I had because I could, you know, pull things apart and put them together, I was always curious. Mm. So I shortened the swinging arm by an inch and I put some bracing in the cradle frame and braced it and I put a cross brace under the seat and I yep. braced up in the in the in the triple trees up in there, put it all back together again and put an adjustable steering damper on it. And that made it handle heaps better. It used to handle heaps better. And they didn't get the deaf wobbles at 140 Ks and yeah. round corners and that, you'd be half into a corner. I know a mate of mine said to me <coughs> You're talking about different brands of bikes and mate of mine we were talking about bikes and he said uh, about uh, the fast bikes. He said, oh, and he said, you guys, you know, you hook into a corner and bloody 200 kilometres an hour. And he said, I know how it is. He said, you fly into the corner. And he said, you lay down. And he said, you're lying down. And he said, and the bike's deaf wobbling. And he <laughs> said, you, you sort of, your eyes get as big as dinner plates. And he said, then you just come out the other side of the corner and you stand the bike up. And he said, you've got about 50 mil to the edge of the tar. He said, I know how it is. He said, I ride a Harley Davidson. He said, that happens to me at 80 k's <laughs> <laughs> far out yeah, yeah that's um so it would have been unheard like because when you think of it like 70s i think a lot of people like there was a lot of power in cars but not a lot of handling yeah and the power to weight would have been a lot different for yeah. a bike so yeah. i feel like it would have been the first time that people that wanted to go fast actually chose the bike option yeah well back in the day you could buy a gdho phase three falcon for about six and a half grand yeah. you go down Parramatta road and they'd be everywhere yeah you'd bring one up i had mates that had gdho falcons you know and they you'd just put the 900 up against them in a straight line and you know, you'd it'd, it'd be like they were in a push bike yeah yeah you know? and the equivalent would be like to just to put something on it it'd be like only one of them bikes back then was like having a car with 4,000 horsepower. Yeah. You know, that was the ratio, roughly the ratio sure. of it. yeah, yeah. But then when, sort of like after the 900 went, I had a, I had a, a Z1000. Yep. And it was all right too, but they started detuning them a bit then to the original ones. You yeah. had to put smaller carbies on them and they played around with them and they, they broke better and they handled a little bit better, but they didn't quite have the power. Then I bought an 1100 GSX Suzuki in 1982. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when they were winning the Castrol 6-hour and all that. So I thought, oh, I'll buy one of these. So anyway, I went down to City Suzuki and I bought one in the case. It was straight out of the thing. He said, oh, how do you want it? And so I just want one that's not assembled. So he said, yeah, okay. He said, it'll be 3000 bucks back then. Mm. So I bought one and I took it straight over to another place that I had a mate working at. 
and uh, we just took it out of the case, stripped the motor straight down. We put what they call a Yoshimura kit in it, and mm. we put a Yoshimura race kit straight in the bike. It's brand new. Yeah. And that bike was just incredible. Back in 1982, that would pull... Well, now you can buy them off the showroom floor that do you know, incredible speeds. Yeah. But back in 1982, that bike had pulled 285, almost 290 k's an hour. Yeah, that's you know, wild. And it would get from 0 to 160 k's in about like three seconds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? And it would get to the point where there's a couple of spots where you could actually wind the thing out, you know, a couple of quiet roads where they were dual, dual lane roads. Yep. And you, it's just, it's just amazing that you get going on them and you mm. wind them out and it's like after you get to a certain speed, it's like you're in a different world. It's like you've got tunnel vision. Everything yeah. seems to look different. Yeah. And that, and like you, hyperspace in Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's mad. And, uh, you know, like. I don't have a bike. I still have trail bikes now, yeah. but I don't have a road bike now. Yeah. And I was talking to a couple of friends and they said, oh, when are you going to buy another bike? Because a lot of my old mates that rode when I rode yeah. have gone riding again. Yeah, you know? still riding, yeah. They ride. We had a, a poker run there last uh, month uh, at the little pub that we got. We had a poker run there and uh, there was 300 bikes turned up for yeah. that. You know, so we had 300 bikes for, yeah. the, for the two or three hours that they were there. Mm. And uh, most of the guys, I knew a lot of the guys, and yeah. they were all saying, when are you going to buy another bike? But see, if I bought a bike now, it wouldn't be for the adrenaline rush and the speed. It'd yeah. just be for the for the fun of going for a ride, sure. you know, just yeah. for the cruise. You Feel know? the wind on your knees. Yeah, as it's, say. it's all about just sort of going, checking the destinations out, yep. going yep. for a ride now. But yeah. they were great, great times, yeah. great times. Loved it. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into story time. Come on, grab your friends. We're all... I forgot this one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the fun will never end. It's story time. There we go. Okay, that's the that's the track for story time. You know what that means? It is time for story time. This episode's been mostly stories, but uh, we just wanted to highlight two good ones that contrasted the, the rest of the episode. Now, we spoke about um, camping before and it jogged up two great memories of camping. So they were two different different times, but all at that Ofa place that I was talking about. So I remember we had a few um, a few uh, days where we'd go out metal detecting. Like I said, it was an old mining place. So we're like, oh, maybe we could find the, the nugget we can all retire, you know? Like I'll never have to work. I'm eight years old and I'll never need to do anything ever again in this place that had been trudged by miners for, f for fucking years all hoping to do the same thing but one thing they didn't have that we had was a metal detector see in the in the gold rush era they didn't have that shit so we all were holding on to this idea that we were going to find some gold that no one had ever found before um our um our adventure led us down a uh, open mine shaft into the side of a hill. In in the side of a hill. It wasn't open, sorry, it was a cut-in. Because these, these guys that originally, like, mined this place were literally with, like, a pick and chisel just hammering into, like, shale rock and just quartz and all these, like, different, like, Aussie bush rock types, hard um, surfaces, and just chipping away at it. So we go down there, we're thinking, oh, yeah, we're, we're like, oh, I bet they didn't try the walls. We got the metal detector on the walls. We're all going down there, you know, um, getting further and further. 
But we can, we can, I remember there was like, like there was something dead in there. Like there was, I found like a dead possum. We're like, oh, we're starting to, starting to veer off the beaten track now. You know, it's getting darker and darker. We've got those old torches, you know, you get from the petrol station, dolphin torch, all flashing them around and that sort of stuff. <laughs> and mind you, remember, I'm eight or nine years old. Luke is 14 months younger than me. And we're just <laughs> cruising down there and we think we're on to the big fucking find, you know? something's going to come up we get further down there further and further now there's we can see tree roots i remember there was like tree roots hanging from like the roof like oh. it was places where we're like no one surely has gone in this deep before like there we might stumble on something here that like no one's ever discovered maybe the last person that was down this far was probably a miner from back in the gold rush times like we might be there was little rock pools and stuff on the ground where the water had been seeping through and there's moss growing on the walls and everything like that now we finally faced with a Y intersection or a T intersection, right? And there's and it's all getting a bit dark and hairy. Now, I'm gonna hand it over to the old man. I'm gonna see see if he can describe accurately how the rest of the journey went. Yeah, well, what happened was we were, we were going into the hill, and these miners used to chisel their way through rock and that, and it's incredible how they used to do it. They just they just the sheer gold fever would make them keep going and going. They'd pick up little bits and pieces here and there. But we were way into the guts of this hill. And uh, we got to this T intersection and we thought, well, we'll go up the T side because that'll go further into the hill. And um, it was fairly safe. Uh, even though I took the boys down there, I didn't sort of go anywhere where I thought that was going to have a cave in or anything yeah. because it was basically solid rock. Yeah. And we wandered up this other little side track. It was dark and it was wet. And then we've, you know, the kids had the metal detector going and I'm sort of following along with the old dolphin torch and that. And we sort of got to a spot where we thought, geez, we're almost coming to the end of this. And it sort of opened up into a little bit of a cavern there. And we thought, ah, oh, geez, you know, there's got to be something here. There's got to be something, you know. And then the kids are waving this metal detector around like you'd wave a flag around at the bloody, at the car races, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're the only ones that have ever been in here. There's nobody ever been in here before. There's no one yet. So anyway, when we get there, we heard this noise and we thought, no, oh, geez, what's that? So we thought it might be an animal. So I said to the boys, I said, I'll go in front. You boys stay behind me. I'll get the torch. I'll go in front and we'll check it out. So when we got to this little bit where it opened up, lo and behold, Here's old mate that I'd never seen before with long hair and bloody that, and he's sitting there in the dark smoking a bong. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks up and he goes, huh? And we go, sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we turned around and wandered back out again. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Also in one of our, um, in one of our um, camping adventures, so we decided one weekend we might go away, but I think it was sort of edging towards winter. Like it might've been like sort of starting to cool off. It was a little bit, it was one of those hit or miss sort of weekends where it's like, oh, it might be all right. You know, might just need to rug up that sort of thing. Remember it was cold. We just got an eight, eight man tent, which basically boils down to maybe about three people if you're lucky. Um, but it was good though, because the, Lukey and I were young. We just stay on one side of the tent and the old man used to stay on the other. There was like a little hallway in the middle and we were separated on either side. You put all your shoes and stuff in the, yeah, um, put all your shoes and stuff in the middle. Um, and 
where there where it's cold, it's we're hunkered down. And Luke and I are laying in one side of the of the of the tent and it's dead dead quiet. But the old man's snoring down the other end. And they just hear him snoring. So he's snoring away. But then we hear Geez, the old man's really getting into the into the snoring, isn't it? What happened? Yeah, well, I, the boys told me in the morning what was going on, but you know, I'm laying there, and when I snore at night, I, I when I first go to sleep, I snore heaps, and then I sort of settle down. But when I snore, it's sort of a <laughs> sound, you know, and the good the boys could hear that. And anyway, the next morning, this is what they told me. Yeah. Then the next morning, the um, we realised Dad snoring had attracted a buck possum down out of the tree that was on the other side of the tent that thought there was another buck in there that was trying to take his territory. So between Dad snoring, there's a buck on the other side making growling noises back thinking that he was here competing for the territory. So it wasn't just the old man snoring. There was a big buck possum on the other side that was hammering back at him. Yeah, I'm going... And the boy said, there's this thing on the other side when they worked it out, and he's going... And then he said, and then the old man's going... And they said, this went on for about two hours. <laughs> so we woke up in the morning and said, we're all buggered. Let's just go home, fuck it. Um, but... Finally, I'll close on the story the old man told me about. With time in engineering and all that sort of stuff, you run across some characters. You know, people want to show you their projects that they made and all that sort of stuff. You know, they know that you do a bit of engineering and welding and crafting and all that sort of stuff. So I remember when we were young, uh, when we were younger, the old man was telling us about the, some fellow that had made something himself. He brought it down to show the old man. Yeah, we had a. Um we used to get a, the schoolies that come in every year, you'd have them for a week, and the guys that were interested in doing a bit of engineering or welding, you'd take them on for a week and just have them in the workshop and show them some different stuff. And one of the young guys I had, he said, oh, I made a cannon. And I said, you did? And he goes, yeah. He said, I'll bring it down tomorrow and show it to you. And I go, yeah, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm thinking of a cannon, you know. But anyway, he brings this little miniature thing down. It's probably around about 150 mil long, and it's about probably 12 or 14 mil thick, 15 mil. Hmm. And he's he's done a pretty good job. It looked pretty good. He's he's drilled it out. He's put it in the lathe at school, and he's laved it out, and he's drilled the centre of it out, and he's made a little set of wheels for it and hmm. all that sort of stuff. Anyway, good good ornament. And he goes, oh, it works. And I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll show you. And I go, yeah, right. So um, I said, you sure it's all right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I've, I've, I've done it before. So I said, yeah, okay. So anyway, he goes to his bag and he comes out and he's got a little bit of gunpowder that he's got off his old man when he was uh, old man was uh, reloading uh, ammunition. So. Yeah. So he's got the gunpowder and he's poured it down the barrel and then he's got a six-inch nail and he's got a piece of uh, cotton wool and he's banged that down behind it with a nail <laughs> and he's got this little ball bearing and he's put that in there and he's banged that down and I'm but this stage I'm sort of backing out of the uh, out of the shed and I'm sort of getting around the corner of the post <laughs> and I said to him you're right mate and he goes yeah 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 no it's all good oh yeah okay okay anyway he gets there and he he puts a little bit of 
gunpowder on top of the barrel that goes down to a little hole that's supposed to make it go bang. Anyway, I'm, at this stage, I'm sort of right round the corner of the shed and I've only got one eye sort of looking at what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the other hand up near me face just to protect it, you know. <laughs> and I'm probably 25 metres away. This guy's standing over the thing. <laughs> so anyway, he gets his hands into his pocket and he gets a box of matches out and he lights the match. He holds it down near the thing and it goes bang! Thing flies up in the air about, oh, I don't know, it goes up about a foot and a half off the ground. I don't know where the ball bearing went. I sort of see it all and I walk back in again. And I go, right, and he looks up at me <laughs> and he's got this gunpowder and shit all over his face and it's like he's got blackheads and there's bits of speckled his shit in his fucking <laughs> face and bits of little <laughs> spots of blood and stuff like that and he's wiping his eyes and I go, Bloody hell, mate, are you all right? And he goes, yeah, he said, that's what happened last time I tried it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, you better pack it away, mate, and don't try it again. Just put it in your room as an ornament, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing you'll be fucking kicking off Anzac Day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fuck. Well, that... That's our final story for the episode. That's uh, been episode 86. And, uh, yeah, thanks heaps for being on the show, Dad. I uh, like hearing some of the stories, and I hope everyone out there likes hearing some of them straight from from you themselves. No, it's been great, mate. It's been great to come down, uh, break break what I do every day, and come down and see you. And Yeah, no, it's good stuff, and hopefully that uh, we'll do many more of them over the years. Yeah, it's a good little stamp in time. So, yeah, there you go. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, and make sure you um, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Marky Comedy, um, and also check out my website, markycomedy.com. Until next time, cheers. Don't buy me a drink. Just name names. Yes, yeah, right. Big Tony. You'll get fucking thrown out of the strip club with your floppy disk. Yeah, all day. Make people feel shamed for shit all day. Don't blow it into a hard drive. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 Keep it simple. Count your money. That they're not proud of. Just give me ten bucks. Alright. <laughs>